Welcome, everyone, to the fourth episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how are you doing? Doing great, David. Happy to be here. Happy to be talking crypto once again. Awesome. Really excited for the future of this podcast. We have a, a, an awesome list of topics to, to talk about. Um, but as always, let's start with the market. Christian, is it is shit or not shit today? Let's see. It's shit. Been worse, but pretty shit. It's pretty shit. Um, Bitcoin holding its 6,000 mark. Uh, everything else not holding anything. Um, you know, blood on the streets. A nice a nice drop in Bitcoin cash, which I'm not going to complain about. Um, but, you know, everything else you know, I'm, I'm a little sad about. Yeah, I mean, I think last time you said that that omg was what you're most sad about does that still stand um i mean at this point it's just one gigantic big bear market uh so the the only thing that really stands out to me is that dogecoin has trumped omisego along with a couple other zcash and vchain and i think it's it's both awesome and perplexing but I, I guess it speaks to the power of decentralization. If you um, believe that Dogecoin is decentralized, it, Dogecoin has actually made money in the last month or maybe two months, uh, October or excuse me, September and August of 2018. Uh, it's it's six tenths of a penny, which is up by a lot. And, and it's an interesting time for Dogecoin to pump. Yeah, so in our group chat, everyone knows that as soon as Robinhood added Doge, I just bought a nice little sack. I think that Do- so uh, during the the bull market almost a year ago, um, I, I I coined the term the Coinbase effect for Litecoin pumping. Mm-hmm. Um, Litecoin was essentially the cheapest item on Coinbase, and so all of the kind of you know people that are trying to get into crypto, but didn't know anything about it or just buying litecoin um so dogecoin and Robinhood are having a very similar relationship from what i can tell um and it has uh served me very well but uh i don't know it's, it's interesting i actually like dogecoin it's probably my second favorite cryptocurrency so it goes bitcoin <laughs> and then dogecoin personally so um i think it's hilarious that jackson palmer doesn't even fully understand dogecoin and he is the creator of it. So, uh, yeah, pretty well, interesting. It, it, Crazy it, kind world. Of, it kind of uniquely follows the Satoshi model where Dogecoin was definitely not made for to to profit. Like it was made as, well, more or less an experiment. And the community has taken it in their arms and run with it. And uh, it kind of the, the fact that it wasn't made in order to be money has allowed it to grow in popularity and sustain itself. Um, I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, what's the the market cap of Dogecoin is seven hundred and twenty two million dollars. So insane. In, in front of other projects that have tons of funding and state sponsorship, like VeChain, Omisego, Ontology, even Zero X, which is crucial infrastructure for Ethereum, Dogecoin has has three times the the market cap that that it does quite quite insane it's and it's been climbing and climbing it used to be like 30 or 40 and it's now number 19 in total market cap significantly higher than zcash which is kind of funny 
Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. So I think the uh, the biggest topic of conversation nowadays, with in, in terms of prices, is definitely the uh, the very very red price of ether. Um, ether had a had a maximum of uh, thirteen hundred dollars. Uh, in comparison to Bitcoin's maximum of twenty thousand dollars, Bitcoin fell to, from twenty to six thousand, and Bitcoin or and Ethereum fell from thirteen hundred to what is now um, a little bit south of eight one hundred and eighty. So a huge, huge total drop in in overall, in overall market cap. Uh, it's it's interesting. Well, because. You know, it, it plays into the narrative that uh, Ether is mainly the currency to fund ICOs with. And now that ICOs are panicking because of the bear market, they're all selling their, their Ether. And it's probably true that ICOs are the largest holders of Ether in total. And so when all these ICOs go to the secondary markets to make sure that they can stay afloat, Ether price just drops and drops and drops just because... Uh, they're the biggest, the biggest sellers and holders and sellers of ether, um, and so that's why we've seen just a huge retracement of ether in comparison to Bitcoin. Yeah, that's definitely true, um, and the fact that EOS, a direct competitor to Ethereum, supposedly has just an enormous stash of ether, um, is pretty. Is that still ridiculous. true, uh, though? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really been following it. People haven't th- been talking I think about they it. I'm assuming out. they have a decent amount. I think they cashed out um, because okay. I know that they are starting to pay a lot of projects U.S. dollar um, to build upon EOS. Um, I mean, no one no one really know if like they cash out all of it or half of it or what percentage of it. Uh, but I'm I'm inclined to think that they've cashed out at definitely a majority of their ether. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it sounds like they got a good deal because yes, ether yes. was 0.6 BTC at one point, and now it's 0.2. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like at the very height of uh of Ether point zero well, six BTC. Yeah, well, it was point yeah point zero six. I'm sorry. Um, but at it, it height, reached it a, a point, height of point one two, but but that was 12. its peak. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, it sounds like they made their money and got out. Um, yeah. What was I going to which, say? Which think, honestly is the right thing to do. Like that's what you're supposed to do as an ICO. You are not supposed to hold on to your funds as cryptocurrency. You are supposed to cash that shit out so you can pay people and, and build stuff. Because people, you know, as, as much as crypto people like more crypto, they got to pay their bills in dollars. Yeah, for the time being. Um, I, I mean, I think it really speaks to how crazy that bull market was and how overly exuberant people were is that mm-hmm. they were just sitting on millions and millions in ether and they didn't think to cash out of any of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like in hindsight, you're like, dude, Bitcoin went from 10,000 to 20,000 in like a month. Like, of course. But um, at the time it was just like, no, duh. Like I highly mm-hmm. doubt that you considered selling ether when it was at 12% of a Bitcoin. No, well, even when Ether was like thirteen hundred dollars, like I didn't, I didn't even consider the fact that I should sell. But that was also my first big bull market, so maybe if if it was my second, I would have thought differently. Um, but who knows? Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so, David, you you were uh, moderating for a panel pretty recently on a, a topic that we're both super interested in, uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining. Uh, would love to hear a little bit more about that and how you got the opportunity. Yeah, so the the topic was Bitcoin, the future of Bitcoin mining in Washington State, uh, which is a very hot topic both for Bitcoin miners and for the state of Washington. Uh, I got brought on to be the moderator uh, because one of the guys who was uh, a panelist uh, works for Bunker Mining, which is the mining division of my company. Uh, and him and I are working on creating a, uh, a basically a pitch deck for investors for this future operation. So him and I have been uh, working pretty closely together and he asked me to, to moderate the panel. So I absolutely said yes um, and drafted a, a list of questions. Uh, the, the topics we talked about are you know, what's what's the current state of mining in Washington? What's the relationship between miners and politicians and also electrical companies? Um, why is this a contentious issue? And in short, the contentious issue is that uh, Bitcoin miners move to Washington in order to you know capitalize on the low electricity costs in eastern eastern Washington. It, super low ele- electricity, like point zero two cent or point. Two cents for kilowatt, three cents for kilowatt, like crazy low prices. So the Bitcoin miners come in and set up these million dollar operations and start, you know, start stressing out the uh, the grids and the private energy companies uh, rack up the rates, uh, like triple, triple the rates on them. So it goes from three cents a kilowatt to nine cents, which if if you pay attention to these like nine cents is what i pay in my home in downtown seattle and so that's a very you know that's a consumer price that's not an industrial price uh so it's it's might they might have well just set up bitcoin miners in people's houses and, and paid those rates um and so what when they thought they were saving millions and millions of dollars in electricity costs every single year after they sunk in these uh sunken millions of dollars into building these facilities it turns out they're not getting any sort of discount whatsoever so there's huge legal cases um in or claiming that uh, it's discrimination which it kind of is because it's discrimination after the fact of promising you know x amount of of uh electricity prices for this p- uh, specific group of people so that's basically what the panel was about. Super interesting. Learned a lot about large-scale mining operations and the massive amount of complexities that go into it. Um, so, yeah, it was a very, very fun experience. Uh, hopefully, in the future, I'll be able to get the audio and we can turn that into a podcast by itself. Yeah, that will be that would be really awesome. And I'm sure you're going to get more opportunities. Hopefully, one day uh, I'll be moderating a panel. I was close mm-hmm. to moderating one in, at a conference in Taipei uh this summer but the the conference actually folded altogether so (laughs) that didn't happen but you know when you're working in the industry you get these opportunities pretty cool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people are are looking for people with good insights to to speak about stuff so and then like i would encourage anyone listening like if you think that you have something good to say you probably do and you should you should market yourself based on that yeah, definitely. Um, but just getting back to the the topic of mining. So uh, an influencer that I like to follow, Francis Pouillot, um, he is in Quebec. Um, he's had some fabulous videos and articles and sitting on, you know, Bitcoin panels where he like, drops some serious knowledge about uh, mining. And uh, one of the things that he's been saying for a long time is that, um mining is going to be the first thing that really starts getting into the politics and uh, really starts to affect like local and um, regional and politics and policy. Um, 
So he he's in he's in Quebec, and Quebec famously has abundant like a massive abundance of hydroelectric electricity. But the politicians were not very happy about you know a lot of Chinese moving into the region to build um, facilities, and a lot of other foreigners moving into the facility to take advantage of the electricity. So um, they passed some very difficult legislation and. Um, you know, essentially anti-mining legislation uh, to make it prohibitive for them to set up their facilities there. And it sounds like that's kind of happening in eastern Washington, too. Washington, too. Um, mm-hmm. So Same story. Very, very interesting. And, I mean, as soon as there's a jurisdiction that has access to clean and cheap electricity um, that is open to miners coming to them, like, they are going to be doing some massive arbitraging um, which is one of the most interesting things about crypto is the arbit- the, the geographic and nation arbitrage opportunities. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also a lot of uh, the, some of the, the mining operations that, that I've talked to recently, they've, they've decided that being dependent on regional politics or private uh, electrical companies is just not worth it. And so they are going after producing their own electricity so they can actually operate wherever they can produce their own electricity. So I've, I've heard of a wind farm being built in uh, Morocco. Uh, I've heard of people buying uh, a power plant in Norfolk, um, Norfolk, Virginia, wherever the fuck Norfolk is, um, buying a, a power plant and then putting a basically a data center right next to it uh, so they can produce their own below one cent of kilowatt uh, electricity and just having their own mining operation. And the, the idea is, is well, A, you get cheap electricity and you don't have to answer to politics, but also you own a, an asset, a, a, an electric, uh, electricity producing asset, which if you produce too much electricity or if the Bitcoin price goes too low, you can just sell that uh, electricity back to the grid and you also have this extremely valuable asset. So we've seen Bitcoin miners start to dabble with getting into uh, electric electrical infrastructure just as kind of a, a hedge of sorts because it both benefits their mining but also makes them not totally dependent on mining. Um, but that also, in, where my brain goes with that is that totally is a centralization force where these only the people that can purchase the um, the infrastructure required to produce extremely cheap electricity is it's going to be a very few number of players and it's going to be um, a huge point of contention when it comes to the the centralization forces behind Bitcoin miners um, so that's going to be a, an interesting thing to play out do you have any opinions on that that's an interesting thought um, I don't necessarily agree that the group of people producing their own electricity um, is going to be a major subset of all the miners globally. Um, So while it might be prohibitive for people to um, get their own facilities to, you know, produce electricity to have a significant Bitcoin mining operation going, um, I do agree that that's probably cost prohibitive and only super big players can do that. Um, I do not think that that's going to be the majority of hash power on the Bitcoin network. I think the majority of hash power will be from, you know, existing hydroelectric infrastructure um, that miners are buying electricity from. Um, I think that there's also really interesting um, developments occurring um, with energy that is produced um, kind of off the grid for 
out like uh, other uses and they just can't transfer the energy somewhere where it's useful to set up mobile um, mining facilities there to capture that energy and turn it into Bitcoin. Um, an example of this is um, when they are um, digging for natural gas, um, there is a lot of like methane that's produced. Um, so normally that methane is just released into the atmosphere as pollution. Um, but what you can do in these like very remote areas is bring a mining, like a portable mining facility and have that portable mining facility, um, you know, connected to some mechanism that is burning that excess methane, um, and turning it into electricity off the grid, turning that into Bitcoin by mining, and then, you know, having them be able to then trade that Bitcoin or sell that Bitcoin um, to get fiat. Um, so it's a way to turn illiquid electricity or illiquid, um, you know, pollution or methane gas into very liquid Bitcoin, which is very interesting. Um, but yeah, so again, I kind of agree, but I don't think that, um, you know, miners with their own electricity facilities is going to be a significant portion of hash rate. Um, and then on top of that, um, mining, getting super creative with how they get the electricity is going to, you know, it's just going to keep, they're going to keep getting more and more creative because they are only incentivized to be as efficient as possible. That is all it's mining is a hundred percent an efficiency and operating cost game. Um, and it is a, extremely, extremely competitive. So, um, you're going to see a ton of innovation wherever there is constraints or bottlenecks in the mining space. So, so some of the subjects that we've both uh, touched about to me scream centralization forces. And so the, what you were talking about with capturing methane and, and producing almost free electricity in order to fuel your mining operations, that's going to produce an extremely efficient uh, mining operation. And uh, we can, you know, go back to Darwinism and say that, you know, the, the best mining facilities that operate the most efficiently and are able to hold the best uptime up will be able to produce the most income. And it, it kind of goes back to the inherent, uh, you know, uh, economies of scale where if you put in, if, so, if some mining facility puts in uh, 10 units, they can get out they can get out 15 units, but if some uh, mining operation puts in 100 units, they can get out 200 units of, of value. And maybe maybe at the start uh, that facilities that can produce their own electricity will be few and far between, but they'll have an inherent advantage because they'll be able to mine Bitcoin profitably down to a Bitcoin price of like $1,000 where the a a mining operation on a, on a grid needs bitcoin to be like four or five thousand dollars to remain profitable and so maybe it starts out you know relatively dispersed but it's it's really just going to go to the survival of the fittest and it's going to be a centralizing force over time uh, is that is that not what you see i mean I, again i think that your thought is right but i don't 100 percent agree with um, kind of uh, the general logic that competition is bad. Um, I think the like ASIC resistant idea is this idea that um, competition is bad for mining and that having the most people, giving the most people access to be able to mine is the way to keep mining decentralized. Um, but I think that mining being decentralized 
is more of a macro supply chain um, and resources um, decentralization rather than independent entities, uh, you know, per se, if that makes sense. So when you say, indep so when people are saying mining is centralized, right? They're, so they're saying that Bitmain or some other producer is controlling a large amount of the hash power um, directly. But the way that I see it is that it's still decentralized because Bitmain can only get so cheap electricity in China and Bitmain only has specific advantages on certain areas of the supply chain and they can't maintain advantages and centralization across every aspect that's required to control mining for a long enough period of time um, for them to you know, essentially have this permanent stranglehold on the network. The hash rate is growing way too fast. There is way too many jurisdictions and um, politics and resource allocation issues um, that um, every player has to run into at all times. Um, and all of those factors constantly changing, I think, is the decentralization that um, is, you know, is real in mining and why we've seen, at least in Bitcoin's history, that miners don't actually control the chain. That makes sense. Um, but doesn't that, do, are you worried about, you know, Bitcoin's relatively fresh with us being under 10 years old. Uh, are you worried about over time, all these uh, different factors that change the Bitcoin mining game eventually stop changing as the ecosystem develops? Because, uh, for example, um, you know, Samsung is getting into the Bitcoin mining game, but we're also basically at the end of the the silicon silicon limits of Moore's law, meaning that we can't really produce too much more efficient uh, chips because we're already down to the seven nanometer um, size of uh, semiconductor chip size, um, and going down to five nanometers uh, is just not an opportunity that sil the the uh, you know the molecular structure of silicon uh, allows. Uh, and so we might be at our end with how, I mean, we're approaching our end with how efficient that we can, we can make a single, uh, mining unit. Um, and so, uh, this was actually a topic of conversation with the mining panel is, uh, um, the efficiencies of individual, uh, mining units is not going to change as fast as it has in the recent past, simply because we are approaching the threshold of efficiency. Um, the the, pro the profitability of Bitcoin and the, the innovation behind Bitcoin miners has mo moved so fast that we've reached the the end of uh, potential innovations relatively soon. Um, so I, I'd be worried about some sort of stagnation in in um, you know you can only get so efficient and and once once all the efficiencies are maximized, uh, it's really just a matter of who maximizes them best. Yeah, definitely. Uh totally agree with you uh, about the limit on silicon um again i'm not like an electrical engineer but this is just the hearsay that i'm going to be repeating um so yeah i too have heard you know all of this stuff about uh, moore's law slowing down in general and um the there is a point where we just can't make asics with the technology that we have now more efficient um but what i have deemed you know to be true using my logic and mental models as well as um, just hearing it from people that I respect um, their opinion is that as you know 
the actual advancements in the physical ASICs become less prevalent and the ASICs shelf lives um, increases, that will only increase decentralization. Because now, you know, currently if you buy an S9, most likely that S9 is already out of date and is not competitive. But, you know, maybe in the next two to five years, you can buy an ASIC off the shelf and expect that ASIC to be good for 10 years before it's um, outcompeted, you know, where it's no longer, you know, giving you returns or the returns are zero in like five months because the hash rate is increasing so quickly. Um, So I think that, you know, if ASICs are not always going out of uh, having to be replenished at all times, that... Um, you know, eventually there'll just be so many ASICs in the market that the market is, you know, people will be able to turn their ASICs off. One, because the ASIC shelf life is going to be increased, but two, you know, they'll have some sort of mechanism that optimizes when hash rate goes down. Um, So maybe when the, you know, when the gas is not being produced or the extra methane is not being produced, they're turning off the rigs. When it is, they're turning it back on. Maybe when, you know, the, it's daytime, and everyone's using electricity, or sorry, it's nighttime and everyone's using electricity, people are turning off their miners. But during the day when less electricity is being used, um, they're, they're powering them on. So, um, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. This is all one big experiment. But um, it seems to be like people have been thinking about this. And if you look for the information, people are at least theorizing, um, you know, what is going to happen when uh, these different aspects change. Totally. Yeah, that's definitely going to be an interesting future. One future that I do see is um, I wholly believe that advancements in electrical technologies and electrical efficiencies is going to be one of the main solutions uh, towards uh, solving climate change. And once once we solve climate change, which we will, uh, it will be because of electricity. And after after the fact, we will have effect, effectively free electricity. And when we do have free electricity and we also have these new, you know, Samsung, NVIDIA built uh, Bitcoin miners that are going to be a lot quieter and a lot less heat producing, it's going to be a much more attractive thing to own a Bitcoin miner as an individual. Uh, and and so because of the free electricity and because of just the improvements in, in, in the product, um, the main reason why I don't buy an S9 right now is because it sounds like a goddamn rocket engine, and I don't really want that in my house. Um, but if it sounded more like a GPU machine um, and produced the heat of a GPU machine, I absolutely would buy those because my house is kind of cold right now, and I would totally turn that on as a, a little heating unit. Um, so I, I guess that's an optimistic view of the future. Um, but uh, I think it's plausible. I mean, w- I. I think that, you know, mining is probably the most fudded thing um, in the space, especially by non no-coiners. And at the same time, mining is this just colossal, or proof of work is just this colossal force that is going to probably be one of the most pivotal things in human history. Like, I don't think you can understate um, how turning electricity into a digital bear asset is going to change the world in many ways, many ways beyond just Bitcoin. Um, from advancements in battery technology to advancements in solar technology, I really think that this is something that our children are going to be reading about 
how it changed the world. So yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm totally with you. Speaking of, of mining and mining companies, uh, Bitmain had their, their IPO or is coming to IPO uh, pretty soon, which kind of brings us to our, our, our next topic of conversation, which are uh, cryptocurrency companies that you can invest in on the stock market. And so, you know, one way of investing in cryptocurrencies is straight up to buy them. Um, but I would also sell my soul for the ability to buy some shares in Coinbase uh, because I think Coinbase is going to be a gargantuan in the space in the distant future. Um, Christian, I think you are our, our resident crypto stock market expert. Um, and I know you have some investments with uh, cryptocurrency companies that are available to be um uh, that are available on uh, the stock market. Do you want to you want to kick us off with with this uh, new topic? Sure. Yeah. And uh, great segue, by the way. Um, Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so you know, a lot of people in the crypto space. I think one of the uh, big ones on Twitter is uh, Crypto Man Ran, the host of uh, South CNBC South Africa Crypto Trader. Um, he posted something like a month or so ago about how to be appropriately diversified in the crypto space you have to hold like 50 plus tokens something like that i don't even know it was ridiculous um but i mean in my opinion that doesn't really make sense because as someone who's a lot more bitcoin forward um i kind of see the space as having a lot of fluff and hype and not a lot of substance so i'm really trying to hold just only the best crypto, but I'm very bullish on the space in general. So I want to diversify, but I don't want to hold shit coins. Um, so I was kind of the guy who's preaching, hey, like what, like what other industries are like, kind of you know benefiting from this crypto revolution? Um, so somewhere to think about is you know the microchip industry or space. Um, you know while the while the uh, you know, I, while crypto was pumping, um, you know, last last winter, so were all the microchip companies. Um, you know, I, I think that Twitter and um, Square are both pretty obvious public companies that were dabbling in the crypto um, sphere. Um, Square has exploded. I think I bought it at like 32 bucks and it's at 90 something dollars right now. So congrats. Yeah, that was a great call. But like that was obvious, like, you know, they were going to be if crypto was real, they were going to be benefiting from it. They're a publicly traded company that's integrating, you know, Bitcoin buying into their um, into Mm -hmm. their their app. Um, So, you know, there's ways to benefit from this kind of trend in general without without actually just acquiring more crypto. Um, So, I mean, those are just some things that affected me in that that space. What what have you kind of thought about or observed? Uh, since you mentioned Square, it's kind of I've put it at the top of my Robinhood app list, even though I don't have any money in, in Robinhood at the moment. Um, there, there's just not too many options, uh, which is kind of why I wanted to bring up this this uh, this question. Um, the only option that I really know of is like you can invest in AMD or NVIDIA because they produce GPUs, which are being purchased by GPU miners. But I also don't um, I don't think that's a long term. I don't think GPU mining is going to be around for the long term. Uh, I think I think eventually it will get swallowed up. Um, 
one of the topics of conversation in the mining uh, panel was that they th- people, everyone seemed to think that Bitcoin is going to be the only proof of work coin in, in the long term. Uh, and so unless either AMD or NVIDIA gets into producing Bitcoin chips, I don't think that's uh, too relevant to the space anymore. Um, uh, but that being said, uh, I am ready to throw some capital at whatever company um, decides to integrate uh, you know, as much as they can with Bitcoin. Um, I guess Overstock is one, but I'm not really into, you know, retail. Yeah, I can I can name a few more and interesting observations with the GPU mining companies. I agree. Um, it seems like ASIC ASICs are inevitable, uh, at least with proof of work. Um, but to be honest, you know, Nvidia and AMD are probably two of the best companies that would you know, move into the ASIC space in general too. So um, they could definitely benefit. Uh, I It's not been a good investment, but you can get exposure to Samsung, which is apparently heavy in the ASIC game right now, kind of as like a white label producer. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you can get exposure to them via um, an ETF, that like a Korean ETF. So Samsung is 20% of... Korea's economy. So if you buy a, a Korea like ETF, um, you can get twenty percent exposure to Samsung. Um, so that's a way to kind of get exposure to um, ASIC production right now. Um, you can. It's not that hard to get access to the Canadian stock market, and there's like three mining companies that are already public on the Canadian stock market. Um, David said Bitmain is become, is going public on the Hong Kong stock market, so you can get exposure to Bitmain. I wouldn't touch that, um, mm-hmm. but I mean, I don't know. I, at one point, I was like, I definitely would buy Bitmain um, equity, but it seemed, I don't know. Maybe I'm just falling for the FUD. People have been fudding them very hard on <laughs> crypto Twitter. Um, what are the ways? CME, CBOE, both uh, you know have Bitcoin products right now. TD Ameritrade, uh, I mean, it, definitely in the financial space, that's evolving very quickly um, in the, you know, w- with like cryptocurrency related organizations and companies creating products around that. So there'll be ways to capture some of that ripple effect, um, you know, by buying public or, you know, by buying publicly traded equities. Nothing to do with XRP ripple. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry I even said the word ripple. <laughs> this is a crypto so, show. I think I think there's something to, something to say about the total lack of options with the stock market. Um, I think it's something to pay attention to because, I mean, maybe we have to to wait it out for one more crypto winter until you know things really become mainstream. But be on the lookout for things that are crypto related with the traditional stock market because they they have to be around the corner and they are definitely worth paying attention to. Um, I mean, especially if you're a believer in this space, uh, the, the, I mean, we've, we've seen square has done exceptionally well. Overstock has done well um, with their integrations of Bitcoin, even though they have really nothing to do with um, the Bitcoin space. Um, Actually, I'm going to pull up Overstock right now. I haven't looked. They're at it capturing the hype. Yes, that's for they are sure. Cap- they're mm-hmm. capturing the hype. So eh, there's actually, a lot of hype. Think... There's a lot of hype stocks too, like uh, Long Island Blockchain Company. Yeah, what the fuck? 
Wait, the overstock chart looks a lot like the crypto chart. They peaked they peaked January 10th and then fell from fell from $86 on January 10th to $36 in April and now are at $26. It looks just like the crypto chart. Wow, that's really interesting. Um caption the hype, man. Yeah. It's interesting like you mentioned the Long Island blockchain company or blockchain long island i don't know what it was um but as soon as they did that the stock price just uh soared and a lot of people pointed towards how just absolute lunacy that was um but the analogy that i give and, and it's partly lunacy i'm not not gonna detract from that but uh i was actually i was in the middle of taking a physics cl- class while while i was thinking about this subject and we had a table full of tiny little magnets and all these magic magnets were super identical and they were all squished up next to each other. And there was like a hundred of them. And if, you know, if you dropped a magnet around all these, excuse me, compasses, compasses, a thousand like little or a hundred little compasses all squeezed together. And if you dropped a magnet over them, you know, the compasses would, would follow the point of the magnet. And what I think is happening, especially with, with when like Kodak released uh, that they were going to make Kodak coin or whatever, and this talk, stock price jumped like a huge amount. It's like all these people or, or all these different buyers and sellers with the free market, they're attracted to value. And so just like when you drop a magnet in or inside of a, an array of compasses, when you drop a bunch of value, which is the blockchain, into this array of, of buyers and sellers, which is the free market, everyone turns to the value. And so that's why I think like these, the, the you know, Long Island blockchain just, just company goes up in value a huge amount is because people see where the value is and where value is going. And so they turn to it and they pay attention to it and then they buy it and the stock price goes up. That was my crazy conspiracy theory. Yeah. Um, I think I, I don't really agree with that blockchain is a lot of value. I think blockchain is a lot of hype and a massive buzzword. Um, so I don't know. I think that there's just a lot of buzz and I think that markets are really, really accurate over time. But as things are happening quickly, um, you know, it was just it was just a trend. Um, but I think that there there are still kind of that this effect is continuing still. Like if you look at companies that are actually, you know, really building in the cryptocurrency space, like they're growing immensely. Um, there's stats about Square and Robinhood user growth, and they're I, I think since both started supporting crypto in some facet, um, they've more than doubled their user bases. So for both, um, and I recently read, and I think I'm not sure if I said it earlier, um, but uh, there was a really interesting tweet where someone was saying that. Um, crypto is actually like a gateway drug into investing in general. Um, and I definitely know that's true for me. I did not invest in equities until Bitcoin. Um, but now I definitely invest in equities. Um, and it, that seems to be true for, you know, half the Robinhood users too. So that's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. Um, I definitely started investing uh, before I start, started investing in crypto. Um, I was a classic millennial and invested only in, in tech stocks, uh, but I never felt comfortable with it. 
um, because I knew that there was no way that I had like the same amount of edge that professional, uh, you know, investors and traders, because they were obviously going to know way more than I did. And I'll always be way more practiced um, with, you know, good practices and uh, accessing information. The only really thing I had was my gut feeling. So, you know, I purchased AMD because, well, I thought, you know, artificial intelligence is coming and distributed computing is coming and, and, you know, the gaming market is a huge foundation for it. So, you know, off the top of my head, it's like, well, all those things are good things. So AMD must be a good buy. But I know that the institutional investor probably did a fuck ton of math to come up whether to whether, you know, the $9 AMD stock price was a buy or a sell or more stuff like that. And I, there, I was just way out of my league. As soon as I get into crypto, I can start to, I, I started learning a lot more, uh, maybe just because of, well, I had a lot to learn because I needed to learn a lot more of economics, but everything was a little bit more accessible and, and, um, you know, rational in a sense of how pure the market was in a sense of it's, you know, pure emotions not to say the the market was rational but you know you could see the the price movements and it's a it's I've, I've seen crypto being described as a very pure market because there's just less fundamentals to go after um, which made it a little bit more accessible to me um, and then on top of that the whole decentralization narrative anti-government and like you mentioned with attracting millennials which I am one but also you know we were growing. We were starting to grow up financially um, in high school when uh, the the housing bubble uh, came and, and crashed, and so we were we were raised in that narrative. And so I think a lot of millennials are ready to, you know, say fuck you to the stock market. We're going to go take our money elsewhere. And I think at, at least that is a decent um, percentage of of why millennials love crypto so much. Apart from it also being an awesome technology. Yeah. Um... I'm not, yeah, I, I don't know. Millennials investing is kind of a weird, interesting thing. Just crypto, tech stocks, weed stocks. That is, <laughs> that is what millennials invest in. So, um, and it, it, it's is all tight. really volatile. I think that, um, I don't know, I've kind of observed a trend of a lot more volatility in the equity markets too, which is very interesting and Honestly, investing in crypto has helped me identify it in uh, in the equities market a lot better. Um, so, just not to brag or anything, but I sold the top of Facebook and Twitter, um, both because of fa- uh, you know going through to 2017 Bitcoin and kind of seeing how quick you know just kind of seeing how the the bubble formed. So um, and and kind of like watching narrative and seeing and kind of having a grasp on how far a narrative can actually take the price. Um, I mean, and I think that the what Bitcoin did with the the futures narrative um, and the blockchain everything narrative and the ICO bubble all at the same time, like that took us to 20,000 Bitcoin and uh, 12,000 or 1200 Ether. Like that, it was a pretty insane narrative and it took it pretty far, but definitely by winter time that narrative was you know starting to fall um and in hindsight it was pretty obvious but in I was hindsight able to it was kinda, so obvious I was, I was able to use that, those heuristics in in kind of a more volatile stock market and been successful so uh, i think crypto helps helps you to some degree um in in other markets too mm-hmm. it, it helps you realize 
how dumb money can be sometimes and how you need to both be careful of that and capitalize on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, and something that I think is interesting is that like money has to be dumb because mm-hmm. there's smart people with money and there's dumb people with money. And like the dumb people with money are going to act differently than the smart people with money. They're going to be later. They're going to be playing on the hype. And that's just reality. So when people are like, you know, the market is rational, it's like, no, that's just the rational part of, you know, a cycle. Um, you know, at some point, people are going to get the, you know, get the the greed card and the hype card and um, are going to pile into something and then they're going to get dumped on. That's just how money works. Yeah. Which is why I'm grateful for being you know, coming to the end of my first cycle with cryptocurrency, I'm, I'm hoping to see another one. I've, I've heard some people say that this is going to be what we just saw in, um, late 2017, early 2018 was the last big crazy bubble. Um, whether that is true or not remains to be seen, but it, it seems that if the next bubble comes, it's likely going to become from consumer adoption because that's the thing that all of 2017 and 2018 talked about and never actually happened. Like consumers are still not really adopting this, this platform. Uh, and so I think the next bubble is, is really just going to only be able, only be enabled by actual consumer adoption from people who aren't really into investing. Gotcha. I mean, a lot of people say that. I think that's a pretty common narrative. Do, do you think it's interesting that uh, Vitalik has been one of the, you know, kind of key thought leaders talking about the last crypto bubble and the end of, you know, crazy price inflation. Wait, the, the last crypto bubble b- before this last one? No, like just he's been tweeting about it the past like two or three days. What has he been saying? Uh, he's been, he's just been saying like investors shouldn't expect any crazy appreciations anymore. Like, the crypto froth is over stuff like that yeah i mean he's been in the space longer than than i have so i'm not too sure what he's referring to or whether he means that that's never gonna ever happen again um i think his words were it's it's over like there's no longer any more crazy appreciation yeah but does he mean that for like okay now it's the the hype of 2017 2018 is over or does he mean like it's never gonna happen don't even dream about it in 2020 or 2025 or whatever it sounds like he's saying the latter i mean we i can pull up the tweet right now i mean but Um, also vitalik doesn't know how to uh predict the market because no one knows how to predict the market i mean i i don't think it's i don't think it's accurate what he's saying sounds like you agree with me too um you can't. No one can predict the market because the market itself is a prediction. It's impossible. You can't predict a prediction. I'm. I mean. So extrapolate on. So like, I, I agree. You can't. You can't really predict it. How can you? I mean, can, do you think you can use past? Um, you know, things that happened in the past or in the past to in some way have insight into what may happen in the future? Or do you think it's just completely well, worthless? Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's so many trains of thought to go down. And so like we've seen 
all of crypto forever always inflate and pop inflate and pop inflate and pop repeatedly until it comes to where it is at this present moment um it would be weird if that just stopped all of a sudden because people started noticing that pattern um but also at the same time if everyone thinks something is going to happen that's the thing that you can be certain about isn't going to happen um so i'm caught between these two these two you know uh, opposing views of you know it's just part of the nature of cryptocurrency just to bubble and pop and bubble and pop and also you know you can't if if everyone's sure about it it's the thing that is most likely not to, not going to happen because if everyone's sure about it people will act on that assurance um, in order to capitalize on it but then everyone is is acting in the same way to act on the assurance that was promised in the first place, which means that the thing that was promised in the first place won't happen because everyone acted differently. It's like a, a self-destructing prophecy. Um, and so I think the only smart thing to do is to assume you know nothing and stick to the fundamentals. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, I actually, it's funny that you said assume you know nothing. I actually have a tattoo on my leg that says the key of life is to know nothing. So I totally agree nice. with with that, that yeah, yeah. with that I that way of kind of like so. looking at your present with yeah at looking at your present set of information um, and and kind of you know evaluating it. Um, but yeah, uh, I, again. I, I totally something that you said is like the so far the crypto market has worked with this bubble pop bubble pop type of growth pattern you know I don't I don't see why that would ch- stop you know so mm-hmm. um, I only expect it to magnify actually um, yeah. so it's just really yeah. interesting to see um, Vitalik kind of say that again I don't know I think Vitalik sometimes you know does the donald trump thing and just says provocative things on twitter to remind people that he's here thinking about (laughs) stuff i don't know i don't know he definitely Um, doesn't enjoy the fact that a lot of people used ether to get rich i he definitely is extremely annoyed about the whole like when moon when lambo thing and so maybe he's trying to quell that and tell people that you know speculation's over like all of you speculators get out of here um, all you builders can stay. Uh, maybe, maybe he's doing that. Okay, so I'm gonna read uh, Vitalik's. This is actually from three hours ago. Hmm. To be clear, oh no, sorry. <laughs> he 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 was editing his uh, his initial his initial tweet after all the criticism. I want to see the initial tweet and then I'll I'll read the response. Damn it! Where is this tweet? Okay, forget it. I'm just going to link to it in the show notes. I don't care Perfect. anymore. Yeah, we're, we're going over time anyways. Yeah. I think this, a, this is a good up. place to, to wrap it up. Um, yeah, David, why don't you tell our loving fans where they can find us? You can find me on Twitter at trustless underscore state. And same thing with my medium. However, my medium might be more interesting, so I encourage you to go there. And I am at real life underscore CK, um, at real life underscore CK, and oh so close to 420 followers. Oh, oh so it's close. coming. It's a special number. Special number. Um, and definitely Twitter is the place to 
get what's going on in my head other than um, the podcast. So I'm not really active on Medium, very active on Twitter. Follow me, follow the pod at POV Crypto Pod. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Great talk, David. All right. Yeah, th- this was a good one. Thanks for, thanks for stopping by and listening. All right, bye. Will you deceive?